It's been exactly one year since the COVID-19 pandemic fundamentally changed how we live our lives. The coronavirus prompted divisions about how we view public health, the economy, and even basic interactions with our loved ones. But it also brought about immense changes to politics in Missouri and the St. Louis region. So on this special edition of Politically Speaking, my St. Louis Public Radio colleagues and I reflect on a year covering this historic story. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. We're going to hear from other members of St. Louis Public Radio's political team about their experience over this past year covering the coronavirus pandemic. But before we do that, I want to bring in somebody who is not part of the politics team, but is a friend of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's health reporter. Sarah Fenton, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. I'm excited that you got to call me that. I've never been called that before. What's this year been like for you? It's been humbling, I guess, is what I would say, too, is because I remember going into the year and it's very the the emergence of the coronavirus uh, has tracked really neatly with like the year as it progressed. So we saw the first rumblings. And I remember being in my bathroom and hearing uh, listening to Up First um, and getting ready for work and and hearing um the host say like a new virus has emerged in China. And I remember like doing my makeup and being like, that sounds interesting and kind of weird in like a Michael Crichton kind of way. Um, and then as the year progressed, I remember saying like, oh, is this a thing? I don't think we should be covering it. I don't want to cause any panic because I literally, I thought it was just going to be like, um, like a Zika sort of thing where there was like, obviously people who were getting affected by it, but it was not a widespread pandemic and we didn't need to, you know, freak out like a hot zone sort of thing. And then I, um, looking back on that now, I feel kind of embarrassed about it. And I, I'm like, should I have taken it seriously? And so it's a humbling experience to think about how little I knew and how little everybody knew going into this and how little we still know about this virus and how it works. If I had to have any broad takeaway about this past year, it's just how this virus has fostered so many divisions, not only in our country, but in the state. I think you're absolutely correct in that it has laid bare a lot of um, political divisions that already existed. I think, I don't know if it's made them worse, but it's made them more visible, definitely. Because like you said, you have this very clear symbol on your face of what you believe. And I think the mask part is a very, it marks you, especially it's like, you know, you're like me and we like to drive around. We like to go to the Ozarks and 
and drive around and I like to go hiking down there and you know if you leave the St. Louis metro area it's a lot different when it comes to masks and when you wear one in a gas station down in you know um I don't know like St. Francis County or something like again you're marking yourself and it really shows like oh these people think different things than me about this one thing and probably lots of other different things and it just things that were hidden are not so much hidden anymore. I think that the divisions also come from people. It, I try to see empathy for those people because it makes me think about values a lot. Um, and so, like you said, like I don't have children. And so I don't think a lot about should kids go back to school? Should they not go back to school? When I think about it in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, wouldn't it be safest to just have everyone stay home? And that's from like, I'm a public health reporter and that's kind of my, my MO that I'm thinking of. But I'm also not a parent and I'm not seeing the effects of working from home on kids. And so I, I think that when you see these divisions, you're also seeing reflections of people's values. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about their health. Um, they're worried about their kids. They're worried about their homes. And I tried really hard over the past year to understand that. And when you see um, public health officials getting attacked for wanting to shut down businesses or to enforce mass mandates, I'm trying to see like, where are these people coming from? And I think it might be from a place of fear about their livelihoods. And I don't think that's always the case, but when you wear a mask, you're admitting that there's this big problem and you are scared of it in a way. Well, Sarah, I just wanna say that we appreciate the work that you've done as well as Shayla Farzan of covering this pandemic. It's looking better, everybody. Uh, get your vaccine, keep staying safe keep everything up. It looks like um, good things are happening and the end is in sight. We'll be right back after this short break with St. Louis Public Radio's Jonathan All and Eric Schmidt. And we're back on Politically Speaking. And joining me right now are two other members of St. Louis Public Radio's political team, our Rolla correspondent. I'm Jonathan All. And our Metro East reporter, Eric Schmid. We talk a lot about Missouri on this show, and we talk a lot about St. Louis and urban and suburban Missouri. But I, I wanted to bring in two people that have been covering COVID-19 um, from a, a rural perspective and, in Eric's case, from the Metro East perspective. Jonathan, I'm going to start with you first. What has been your biggest takeaway covering the pandemic from your perch in Rolla? Well, one of the things that I've noticed, and this has kind of been an ongoing theme uh, since we opened the Rolla Bureau two and a half years ago, is the definition of rural is not a singular thing. It is very, very different because um, my big takeaway is that that everything that is outside the St. Louis and Kansas City areas, with the possible exception of Springfield, Jefferson City, and Columbia, is just all referred to as rural. And then when it comes to COVID-19, all of that swath of area is painted with the same brush and, uh, and just called rural. So some of the narratives that we've heard a lot um, are that mask mandates don't work in rural areas because no one will follow them. Is that true? Well, yes and no. 
There are certainly some areas of the state where uh, there's been a huge opposition to mask mandates. But there's also been some areas where, like Rala, for example, where there, the local government did put in a mask mandate. It was in place for uh, many months. Um, now, the Rala City Council did let it expire on a six to six vote. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's definitely not uh, universally applauded or loved. But it's not the same Wild West that some people want to uh, paint the area in. Same thing with vaccinations. We're hearing stories about these mass vaccination events, events in rural areas where they not enough people show up for it. And yes, that is happening in some areas. But, you know, in Rala, if for the mass vaccination events event here, they go online. They're fi- the All the spots are filled with local people signing up within a few hours. So I think that my big takeaway here is that, that when you talk about rural Missouri, it, whether you're talking about COVID or anything else, it's not a monolith, and there are a lot of different parts that make up what are typically called rural. This is a clip from State Representative Chad Perkins. He is a, a lawmaker who represents a swath of northeast Missouri, which is very different from the Rolla area. I want to just make clear to our listeners but but this is something that I've heard a lot from Republican officials, especially who represent outstate Missouri. And I want you to respond to this a little bit more. There is not, um, you know, a, a hysteria. You know, people are being cautious. You know, there's some distancing. Um, some people wear masks, some don't. We believe in liberty here, obviously. And I think that whenever you mandate something, you give up some liberty. And um as far as I'm, I don't know that there is a clause in the Constitution uh, where we live up our liberties because of a pandemic. So one of the things that I'd always wondered about mass mandates, and this is based off my travels throughout rural Missouri over the past year, is it just seems like it'd be a difficult thing to enforce in places where there are really small towns. Maybe not a town like Rolla, but a town like, I don't know, Palmyra or Paris, Missouri, these are places where counties don't have large enough health departments to monitor people on on a really strict basis. I would liken mask mandates to the speed limit. If you are in, you know, if you're on a county highway in Texas County, Missouri, and you're driving 90 miles an hour, the chances of you getting pulled over are probably less than if you're driving 90 miles an hour down 44, uh, you know, heading into St. Louis. Um, though the rule exists in both places, it's enforced in both places, but since there are a lot fewer people, it's easier to probably try to get away with some of those kinds of things. So I, I'd say that, yeah, um, you know, in a town, in a small town, sure, it's, it's probably harder to enforce, especially really what it comes down to is business owners, really, when we're talking about it is because, you know, um, the, the, most other places are abiding by rules because they kind of have to. But if you're running a bar in an unincorporated part of, uh, of a county somewhere in Missouri, um, you're probably going to let, let everybody come in without a mask and not have too much pushback against it. So is it happening? Sure. Um, I don't know that it's quite the super spreader event that people say that it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like any other mandate or law, heck, there are still places, if you look hard enough, where you can smoke in a bar, <laughs> you know, in, in, in rural Missouri, where you're really not technically supposed to. But, you know, if there's eight people there and they all know each other, no one's going to call the, the county sheriff on them. Eric, I want to turn to you because, I, I, as everybody knows who listens to this show, I am a native Illinoisian, grew up in Buffalo Grove. So 
And I still have family in Illinois. So I've been paying attention to how Illinois has been handling COVID compared to Missouri. And it seems that the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, has had a completely different mentality than Missouri's governor, Mike Parson. I want you to kind of explain some of those dynamics for me. Yeah, I mean, Pritzker has been much more willing to impose rules, impose mandates, impose uh, restrictions to to slow the spread or, or, or what he says will slow the spread. And uh, one thing that's been very apparent during the pandemic, and you might draw this comparison between Pritzker and Parson or Pritzker and, and some of the other Republican governors that are around Illinois, is in most of his daily briefings, he's come back to the science says this and we're listening to the experts and we're listening to the to the people who know things that that we don't know as the the political leaders and that has been something that has just flowed throughout the entirety really from the beginning from that first uh lockdown almost a year ago and i I think when it comes to the when it comes to the state i think that that resonates with uh with with some of the more liberal uh, leaning population, especially in areas like Chicago, where a lot of people are. I mean, most of the state's population is in Chicago, and downstate is is less populated. Those large restrictions, though, you they saw a lot of pushback in exurban, in more rural parts of Illinois, because people saw them as uh, as heavy-handed, as uh, overstepping. And there were many, many lawsuits that were filed in uh, different courts around the state challenging the governor's authority to, to, to implement them and to continue to implement them. Here's actually a clip now from Pritzker talking about some of the challenges that he's had dealing with this pandemic. For leaders, there are no easy decisions in a pandemic. Every choice, every choice as consequences. And I know leaders across the state are struggling with these choices. And I have sympathy for them in that struggle. But what I don't have sympathy for is those so intent on disregarding science and logic, so afraid to tell their constituents what they may not want to hear, that they put more people's lives at risk. You you know, it's interesting, Eric, that like people like Gavin Newsom uh, the governor of California and Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, have gotten so much attention for their COVID response. Um, and Pritzker really hasn't, even though I think that he has been kind of in the same mentality of putting in restrictions as both of them. It also doesn't seem like Pritzker has been universally successful at, you know, making sure the numbers are as low as they can be. I think every governor across the country has struggled with this, whether or not they put restrictions or not. Why do you think that he hasn't gotten more attention nationally for his COVID response? I think part of it is that he hasn't necessarily sought the attention. I know that uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's daily press briefings, they, they became this big event that everybody would watch. And and part of that was that, that there was media hype around it. I think also a reason that Gavin Newsom receives attention is because California is the most populous state. You know, 50 million people live there. That's a lot of people. Uh, In Illinois, Pritzker appeared to be just focused on managing the pandemic and managing it for Illinoisans and and not wanting to necessarily seek out every single spotlight that was possible and, and, and just focus on, on moving forward where Pritzker may or his administration hasn't done as well 
is they they put all of these restrictions in place. They say, you know, these are the rules. This is what you can and can't do. We have a uh, you ha you have to wear masks in indoors, for example. You have to do all of these uh, these different things. But he was very very reluctant to to follow through on enforcement and using every single available uh, tool to enforce those restrictions. And I I think that he did that because. That can come off as really heavy-handed if you have the Illinois State Police coming in and uh, shutting down a restaurant because they they have 20 people inside without masks on. I mean, I think the the governor was being really conscious of the ways in which the pandemic has really hurt uh, small businesses and didn't want to needlessly exacerbate that when we're going we now have vaccines rolling out. We're going to get on to onto the other side. It, it he wanted to t it, it appeared to me like he wanted to take the tact of we're taking this seriously and these are what you should do but didn't want to 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 draw the ire out from uh from people who are saying that that you're you're doing absolutely everything you can to 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 cripple me and why are you singling out my business my gym my restaurant uh through these through these restrictions we'll be right back after this break with St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll and Rachel Lipman and we're back on Politically Speaking. Joining me now to talk about how Missouri state government and St. Louis's regional political leaders handled the COVID pandemic, I'm joined now by St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Jacqueline Driscoll, as well as St. Louis Public Radio's other political correspondent, Rachel Lipman. So I'm going to start with you, Jacqueline. Um, this probably was a a very memorable year in your reporting career just because how Missouri state government handled this pandemic was such a central aspect of this COVID story. Well, obviously it was a monumental year. It was a different year. I don't think any of us have ever covered a once in a century pandemic before. Um, but my biggest takeaway, I think one of the the better stories that I did this year was when I compared how Illinois was responding to coronavirus to how Missouri was responding to coronavirus. And although Illinois and Missouri are neighbors, they couldn't be further apart. And I think that was also emphasized in the handling of the pandemic when, you know, Governor Pritzker was very quick to implement statewide orders, such as a statewide mask mandate. Governor Mike Parson was a little bit slower. He never issued a statewide mask mandate. He left that um, you know, in the hands of local officials. He never closed down schools. That was, again, something we saw Illinois do. Although Missouri schools did all close on their own, that was fall, you know, that kind of fell on the shoulders of local officials. Again, Governor Mike Parsons said he was doing this because he thought local officials knew their communities a little bit better. Um, biggest takeaways, I was really tired uh, after a full year of covering. Uh, let the legislature essentially got put on hold um, and we didn't do a lot of the things uh, that you normally see in a legislative session, although they they did get a lot of other things done right we still got a budget passed. they still had uh, mail in ballots for voting Jason you covered uh, some of that so they did get things done but that giant break in the middle and then you know how they transitioned with um bringing folks into the chamber to vote such as the house only brought lawmakers in in groups of four to vote on the budgets and then go back to your office and watch from your chambers i thought that that was really unique 
Um, Illinois essentially didn't have session. So it was just a really unique year. It was very different. I hope we never have to do it again, but I think that this was a great learning year um, and hopefully we are prepared if it ever happens again. Rachel, because Missouri did not have a statewide mass mandate, it put the onus on local governments like the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County to come up with their own COVID restrictions. And even though St. Louis and St. Louis County are both very Democratic jurisdictions, I can't say that both St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruz and, and St. Louis County Executive Sam Page were universally praised for their response. Is that a fair assessment? That's absolutely a fair assessment. Um, I, I think there were camps that both wanted them to go farther. And I think that there were camps that thought they had gone too far. And the camps that thought they had gone too far were especially prevalent in St. Louis County. You had instances where literally written comments hijacked a county council meeting for a week. I think it was something like 2,000 comments they wanted to read into the record. Most of them were a variation of the same language of open up, you're dumb, no mask mandates, you're awful, you're killing businesses. Uh, you know, Dr. Sam Page, you have no idea what you're doing. I can't say I was necessarily surprised that you didn't see as much backlash in the city. And I wonder if that has to do with there were just fewer outlets available to comment on it. There is no public comment equivalent for the St. Louis Board of Aldermen in the way that there is for county council, where you can get up and speak on any issue that you want. You can get up and testify to specific bills, but because there was no legend in committees, you can't do that in the general meeting. And because there was no legislative action necessarily on mask mandates in the city and nobody was trying to take the authority away from, from Dr. Eccles, there was a brief concern about whether Dr. Fred Eccles was uh, actually qualified to be the health director, but that sort of just seemed to be a flash in the pan. It's gone. Um, so there wasn't as much sort of sustained backlash in the city. And I, I, I want to say that I think a lot of the county was AstroTurf, once they took away the written comments and you had to physically be present on WebEx at the virtual meeting, the number of comments dropped precipitously. I mean, we're talking, there were there are some nights where there's three, four, five comments. And some of the language in those anti-mask comments was nearly identical, which makes me think it was circulating on some Facebook page or in some group saying, send this comment to the county council and make your opinion known. So Jacqueline, I want to go back to you because I think one of the big stories in Missouri politics, not only this year, but last year, was just how Parson handled this unprecedented situation. And, you know, of all the things that happened in his press conferences, this exchange between him and a television reporter from Columbia really sticks out at me. Do you feel any personal responsibility for the people who have infected and don't recover after you chose to reopen the state? Let me, let me just say this. I don't even know where you come up with that question of personal responsibility as governor of the state of Missouri when you're talking about a virus. You know, that's no different than the flu virus, or do I feel guilty because we have car accidents and people die every day? No, I, I don't feel guilty about that. You know, each person that gets in those situations, things happen like that in life. They do. I don't know that any one person's responsible for that, no more than anybody else standing out here in this hallway. Jacqueline, when it comes down to it, some people were fine with Parsons' approach. Other people found comments like that 
to basically be passing the buck to other people to fight this virus. What do you think that Governor Parsons' ultimate legacy in dealing with COVID-19 will be? The biggest takeaway is that people definitely, you know, got who they elected. I think Governor Mike Parson has always remained very clear in the sense that government doesn't necessarily belong in our everyday lives. And he, you know, held that notion even throughout a global pandemic when people were calling on him to take the advice of the CDC to make sure that people were, if they were leaving their houses, they were wearing masks. Now, Parson did, did say in every press conference, wear a mask, wash your hands, socially distance. But then we also saw him go into crowds, go to events, not wearing a mask, right? So it, you can say it and then remind everyone that you're saying it. But then when the people of the state see the leader of the state not taking that advice, I think that's something that, you know, stuck out and will continue to follow him. Parson recently did come out and say, uh, you know, in hindsight, we could have done things a little differently when it came to vaccine distribution. Now, I think that we're not going to see Governor Mike Parson ever say, I wish I would have put a mask mandate in place, or I wish we would have closed schools from the state perspective and not left that burden on school districts. Um, because I think he, he believes wholeheartedly that his measure was the best one. He's, he's stressed that he's taken a well-rounded approach. He continuously hits on the fact that the economy is rebounding, which it is. Our unemployment numbers are very low. Um, so, so that is a positive aspect of that. But we have seen a lot of lives lost in Missouri that I, I'm not saying could have been totally avoided. We, we were in a global pandemic. It's something that was going to happen. People were going to die. We knew that. But if more precautions were taken more seriously, possibly a little bit sooner, uh, we may not have seen the numbers that we did, especially in the beginning uh, when Missouri was was towards the top of, of states um, when it came to um, contracting the virus. Something that has struck me over the last few weeks, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Jacqueline and Jason, is on his Facebook page. The governor has been enforcing this idea of, look at how well the state is doing even without all the mask mandates and everything. And every time there is a comment on there that says, because the locals did the work for you because St. Louis, St. Louis County, Jackson County, Kansas City area, Columbia, uh, even eventually Jefferson County finally put mask mandates into effect. And I think it's, he won't take, he will take credit for the work that other people really did do. We'll be right back with our final thoughts on this tumultuous year. Before we sign off today, I, I want to bring Eric, Jonathan, Rachel, and Jacqueline back in to provide their final thoughts about a year that we'll never forget, starting with Jonathan. I'd say that that looking at things from a, a huge perspective, we as 
a state and a nation have a lot of work to do to be prepared for a lot of different things that could really disrupt and damage our lives for the long term. Eric? I think it really highlights the divisions in, in what people see for, for priorities in society. And and a lot of that, I think, comes down to, to what kinds of jobs you have and, and, and where you make your bread. If you're in a if you're in a position where you're for, where you're uh, for uh, publicly facing, you need to interact with people uh, versus somebody who can work from home. You know, those two sets of people have very, very different values, have very, very different things that they want to see a government protect. And moving forward, I don't think those divisions are going to magically disappear because we have a vaccine. This this coronavirus really exacerbated those differing perspectives. And it's not it's going to be something that plays out, I think, in local and, and regional and statewide politics, probably for the next uh, for the next decade, at least. Rachel. My biggest surprise was especially in the city, this was less true in the county, was just how little lawmakers reacted to the coronavirus in terms of policy. You had a special COVID committee that really mostly handled funding legislation and moving funding around. There wasn't a concerted effort that I really saw legislatively to tackle some of the underlying issues that uh, you know the pandemic brings up, inequality, access to healthcare, et cetera, those kind of issues. You saw a little bit of that in the county, I think more so than in the city, but you know, the special coronavirus committee was really just, I want to pass, you know, money through this committee and and for the the president to say, I've had a role in this. A lot of that came from the courts, the mayor's office, et cetera. The fact that, you know, public health measures were made political. Some of that is, is I think, County Council, County Executive Page's own doing in terms of, of the messaging um, is, is damaging to, to dialogue, to, to public health measures in general. Um, Paige and the mayor, Krusen, didn't do everything perfectly. I think there were plenty of stumbles. I think uh, the Paige especially had, you know, many self-inflicted wounds when it came to this in terms of his messaging. Jacqueline. My main takeaway, and this is kind of a depressing one, but uh, how disappointing politics and the atmosphere surrounding it has become. Um, I'm hoping now that we've moved past a very contentious election that we can kind of get back to you know, more, uh, less partisan politics uh, and more doing things for the good of the people. Uh, I hope that's not just a pipe dream, but the fact that we couldn't even unite around, you know, scientists and what they were saying to protect people through a very deadly and global pandemic was really disappointing. The fact that I felt like I was going to war when I would go to press conferences um, and ask very, I feel, you know, worthwhile questions that I was getting from constituents and, and was made to feel as though I was just being hyper-partisan or I wasn't, you know, respecting conservatives. I think that we need to get back to uh, a bit of, a little bit just like nicer and um, understanding each other and recognizing that we may have different fundamental values in, in politics when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, but we should be working towards getting back to doing things that, uh, 
is, is what's best for Missourians. Uh, we know that wearing a mask is best for Missourians. We know that washing our hands, socially distancing, um, limiting capacity in restaurants during a global pandemic, we all know that that is what the science supports um, and it doesn't need to be political. Um, one other takeaway, I would love to revamp communication strategies for politics. It, you, you, I, I'm like coming in thinking I'm going to change the world here, but like it is okay to say in hindsight, we should have done this. We, we were wrong here, but this is a once in a century pandemic and we learned and we're, we're better for it now. And if, if I could go back, I would tweak it and do things differently instead of doubling down and saying, look, you're just, you're just trying to make me look bad. Come on, we, we all have a job to do. Let's just get along and play nice and uh, hopefully come out of this better and stronger together. My final takeaway is pretty simple. I hope the rest of 2021 is a whole lot better than the entirety of 2020. I want to thank all of my St. Louis Public Radio colleagues for joining me on this special edition of Politically Speaking. You can find all our work on stlpublicradio.org. And until next time, so long.